Thanks for listening to the Fly Racing Racer X podcast. Before we get started, I want to tell you about Race Tech. Race Tech does more than just uh, Supercross and Motocross. You've seen it with the Solitaire guys and the Motul AGE guys, of course, many of the top privateers, but they also do off road stuff. Cody Webb, Cooper Abbott, the Factory Sherco team recently switched to Race Tech as your suspension of choice. So whether it's Enduro Cross, Hard Enduro, or some other radical challenge, the riders have tested and chosen Race Tech to help them get the, over the obstacles. And to the finish line, Racetech.com, Pulp23 is the code to save. Get some, get some savings on motor or suspension work from Racetech. Thanks for listening. On to the show. A Pulp MX Network production. Welcome to the Fly Racing Steve Mathis Show presented by Maxis Tires, Renthal, Motosport.com, and Kuba Links on RacerXOnline.com. With your continuing gracious support of our sponsors, we're thriving at over 1,800 podcasts delivered with over 20 million downloads. Click the Amazon banner on Pulp MX to help us out. Donate via Patreon if it suits you. And as always, enrich your moto lifestyle by working with the sponsors who support us. The original Moto Podcast, featuring legends of the past, stars of today, season previews, race reviews, introspection, opinion, facts, and laughs. Here's the voice bringing it all to you, Steve Mathis. Welcome, everybody, to the Fly Racing Racer X podcast. 25 years of fly racing. They're excited to celebrate it, led by the Formula Helmet, featuring the Rion technology. Fly Racing continues to push the boundaries of product performance and design. They want to thank their dealers and customers for 25 incredible years. Check out the all-new website at flyracing.com, at Fly Racing USA on social media, or check out the athletes this summer, guys like Chiz, first three anyways, guys like RJ Hampshire should be winning the Nationals, and uh, many other racers wearing Fly Racing. Chance Hymas, too. Remember Chance Hymas? Fast. He's going to be wearing Fly. Flyracing.com, please check those guys out at your local dealer or motorsport.com. We'll tell you more about motorsport.com and Cobo Links later on, but thank you to Renthal. Made over there in the UK to the tightest of tolerances, to the greatest of specs. Really informative website, whether it's uh, the Fat Bar 36, the Fat Bar Twin Wall Bar, 7 8 Bar. They've got you covered. Cloth bar pads, the vintage guys, they got that also. Grips, sprockets, chains, all sorts of things going on with the folks at Renthal. You know, uh, Factory Honda, Factory Kawasaki, Factory KTM using Renthal and uh, having a lot of success for, with it over the years. They have a long, long history of uh, supreme uh, race-winning results over there at Renthal. Thank you to those guys. Also, thank you to the folks at Maxxis. Get ready to tread victoriously with the new Maxxis Moto Tires. Experience the full shred potential of the two treads designed for soft to intermediate and an intermediate to hard terrain, developed and with uh, the expertise of seven-time Supercross champion Jeremy McGrath. You know, they say seven-time Supercross champion, and he is, but he also is a one-time outdoor champion. They should put that in there. Uh, anyways, grip, stability, and predictability that surpasses all others. Available now at your local Maxxis dealer or online, shop.maxxis.com. Maxxis MX Series, a gift from the science nerds to the moto kids. Pick your pair. Thank you to the folks at Maxxis for coming on board and uh, great mountain bike tires as well. So thanks to those guys for making this podcast happen. Thank you, people, for listening. Remember, you can always use the contact form at pulpamex.com to shoot me a note about anything you want to talk about. Really appreciate the... Uh, Support over the years for these podcasts, man. 
Been doing it since 2008. We're still doing it now. All right. On to the show. All right, as promised on the Fly Racing Racer X podcast, one of the uh, nicest mechanics in the pits and a real damn successful one at that over there at Factory Honda. It's Jordan Troxel. What's up, man? How are you, Jordy? Steve, how are you, buddy? Thanks for doing this. Appreciate it. Lots to get into. Uh, first of all, though, everybody won but you over there. So I'm just <laughs> going to point that out right away, like just right off the top here. Well, well yeah, just hit it hard right off the bat, right? Um <laughs> For sure, definitely kind of a, a bittersweet thing. I'm super happy for everyone else on the team, um, you know, but uh, I guess you could say I was, yeah. you know, try to be a part of it as well and help everybody along the way. And unfortunately, you know, you can't, you know, always, you know, choose your, your success or whatever. So yeah, um, it is what it is. I'm happy for the guys and um, stoked to be a part of it. You know, I'd love to get my own one day, but um, well, yeah, just... Not in the cards. You're a world supercross champion. You know, there is <laughs> I mean, that. There is that. Um, I mean, if, if you want to call it that, I uh, I kind of refuse to to call that a mm, title. But Sure. Um, no, it's uh, you worked for Colt Nichols this past year, obviously, and uh, a real nice guy, a real cool guy. I imagine, compared to Kenny, it was a little bit of a vacation for you. He, he's not hard on bikes, I would think. He's, he's uh, pretty amendable. Um, pretty happy to be there. Uh, was it quite a difference than working from the pressure of, of Ken Roxon and all of that? Yes and no. People ask me that all the time. And, uh, there's a, a certain standard, maybe not created by Honda, but more just from myself of, of an expectation of what I expect from myself and the, the product that I want to present to my rider and the team every week. So that, uh, doesn't change, uh, regardless yep. of who's on the motorcycle, Sure, Kenny had his, you know, came with his own, you know, list of things that I had to really focus on. But mm-hmm. I call Ken like um, mental work. Mm-hmm. Like it took a a lot of thinking and and forward thinking. But he was also in in Florida during the off season too, so I had some time to relax. Where Colt was here every day, so I ran the the practice program. So yeah, hour wise, yeah, you know, hour wise as far as physical work. You know, it didn't really change. If anything, I maybe worked more hours with Colt. So. Yeah, yeah. Let me ask you about this. When you're working for Kenny, and, and I I noticed this, like, late in my mechanicing career, and I didn't like it as much. Um, and, and we'll talk about sort of your path, and, and I love the path that you've taken to Factory Honda, and I do think there's a story there and also a lesson for a lot of people that I get that I, I get DMs from people, and we'll get into more into that later. But um, kind of like even – Towards the end, like I, um, of my mechanicing career, these riders, like they, they're like their own team, right? Within a team, and they have the wife or the girlfriend, the agent, the practice bike guy, uh, the trainer, um, all these different people involved. And you're kind of, and I've seen this with Chad a little bit, even myself with Timmy, and we were great friends. I was a little bit removed from like, hey man, uh, let's watch some video or let's do this, or uh, it was kind of like. Listen, we're friends. We're good. We got a good working relationship, but it's a little bit of a team within a team. Did you find that with Ken? Yes, yes, and no. I think you yep. kind of find that everywhere. I mean, even you could go back to the year prior in nineteen when I worked with Sealy. Mm-hmm. We were kind of our own team, also, and and even at TOD that happened at times. Um, but for sure, there is something there, and uh, I think you do pick up on it and sometimes you're you're happy to be in that little that little tight-knit group and then other times you know people might look at you a certain way for it but um it's just kind of when you know when you work 
the hours that we work mm-hmm. and put in the dedication that we do 60, 70 hours a week sometimes, like just to, to kind of be there, you better be invested. And if, you know, if I'm at fault for that, or some people are at fault for being in that, that group and trying to get that guy to succeed, then mm-hmm. that's, that's kind of just part of it, I guess. Um, what was it like for you? This was such a weird situation um, this past offseason. Kenny was out, right? He wanted to do the World Supercross. Honda came out. Brandon Wilson came out with that letter saying, you know, we wish him well, but we're not going to bring him back because he wants to do the World Supercross. And Kenny was okay. Like, I'm, I'm out of here. And yet, and what I think is super cool, by the way, I'm not, this isn't a critical thing, but it was weird. You went and worked as a factory Honda employee. You went and worked for Kenny on the firepower team. Uh, for the World Supercrosses, and I remember talking to you at England, and you're like, "Yeah, man, I don't know, man. I'm just, I'm, I'm happy to be here, and I'm just working." Like <laughs> that was yep. certainly, and again, I think it was really great of Brandon and Lars, and great that Kenny accepted you. Like there was none of this, uh, you know, screw anybody over thing. It was a, 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 you know, a conflict that couldn't get resolved, and yet everybody put their best foot forward to make it work. Yeah, that was definitely an interesting time. Um, I was thinking it's probably been six or eight months since since that happened, but everything was changing literally by the day or by the week as far as where Ken was at contractually mm-hmm. and um, with Honda, with WSX, with Uribe and Firepower and all that stuff. And, you know, we'd have one plan set in place on Monday and then, you know, Tuesday afternoon it would change again. <laughs> but uh, so it was just a kind of a constant back and forth. But uh, super thankful to um, Lars as, you know, as the way that the WSX series was looked at as far as our our manufacturers here not wanting to support it. Um, Lars was super cool mm-hmm. with me. Basically, um, a week in England, a week in Australia, take two weeks off unpaid and just kind of have Ken make up for that. Um, but I really wanted to help Ken also, and, and he asked me to do that because, mm-hmm. you know, I'd spent three years with him on a Honda. Um, even though when I got to England, that Honda was completely different than, than anything <laughs> I, I had worked on in the prior three years. Yeah. But, um, I mean, truly, I believe that why he can't ask me to go over there is, is he trusted in me and mm-hmm. knew that I would give him the product that he needed. And, um, man, it was stressful. Yeah. <laughs> it was really stressful for kind of a, a two race exhibition series, but, yeah. um, yeah. And, but were you we, caught in the middle a little bit or was everybody like everybody cool? Like it was fine. Like none. Like all your everybody at Honda and everything else was good. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody was actually like really cool and super supportive and and everything. And and the fact that um, you know, just to keep it like black and white, the fact that like Honda didn't didn't pay me for that yep. is kind of what gave me the the freedom. It was basically just like a like a two week leave of absence. And um, yep. So I think that was kind of like the you know the paperwork is to say. Well, they're not really supporting Jordan. He's just taking a little vacation. Mm-hmm. And um, so on, on that sense, it made everything work. And um, yeah. on a on a selfish note, of, of course, I was down to go do that and to go to two countries I've never been to. Um, mm-hmm. So that was, you know, that was enjoyable. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Uh, I, I th- and again, even though it doesn't count, like in your eyes, you still won, a, still won the title. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it, it certainly is interesting. So uh, at Honda, you guys are contractors. You sign year, you sign the uh, one year, two year deals, right? I don't know if any of you guys get two year deals. I don't know how that works anymore. Some guys did over the years. But um, 
when Ken was out, were you stressed or did, did, did Lars or someone come to you early on and be like, we want you, we're going to keep you, whoever we hire, you're going to be the guy? Because, you know, sometimes there is that changeover, right? I mean, teams aren't doing it as much as they used to, but, you know, you are still, you know, working for a contract every year. Uh, yes, there's there's definitely that. And, you know, I'd say every, what, July, August of every year, if you're on a one-year contract, you do kind of, mm-hmm. you start putting your feelers out and, you know, you go to your team first, right? Because you want to stay, you're happy. Yep. Um, but, you know, sometimes you get weird vibes and sometimes you start shopping. That's just the way the, <laughs> yeah, you know, the sure. industry is. And, and you're always trying to play out, you know, who's going where. And um, it's kind of like in uh, football or basketball or any of those big sports, you know, you have your big fish and yep. you kind of wait to see where those guys are going to land. And that kind of, you know, sets the whole bracket for the rest of the industry. And then the other writers start, you know, getting their deals done. And mm-hmm. same thing, same hierarchy kind of happens as mechanics too. Like once those writers get set, you know, you, you got some of your big fish as, as mechanics. And if, you know, you know, uh, a high ranking guy on another team is, is looking for something or ready to make a move. Everybody kind of stops and waits for him to make his decision as, as that sounds. But, um, I've been super lucky and fortunate. I always get on that early. Um, as far as Honda and Lars, there was never a question. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, Hey, if Ken moves on, we always have a spot here for you. And if that's with the rider or not with the rider, we will have a position because, nice. um, yeah. we appreciate you. So that was something you know, I kind of had it in my back pocket, and um, I was always, you know, yep. never really saw myself leaving Honda. You've been in the game for a while, for sure. I don't know if you were, if you're, if you've been around long enough. Like for many years, especially in the '90s, Honda was, you know, really considered the no fun team. Um, it was very strict, very corporate. Uh, the team managers weren't very friendly, and it loosened up a little bit here and there. But it's always kind of had that. Honda, like we're better than everybody vibe and, and just a general vibe. Now, that was the old days. I have to say the guys now, uh, I think Lars has had a lot to do with it. But even Eric, when he was there, uh, helped it out. And, and I, I got to say the last, I don't know, 10 years, let's say whatever it is, everybody at Honda has shed that reputation. You guys are a nice bunch of guys, a good bunch of guys. It, it goes a long way from Cliff White to Dan Bentley just staring at you holes through, you know, um, back in the day. <laughs> like, I, I think you guys seem like a great team. Everyone seems to get along. Zim, super cool guy, used to work for AC. And, uh, um, you know, Hutch and Lars and Shane are friends I've known for a long time. Everybody seems really, really cool. Like a, a, a nice team you got there. A lot of fun. For sure. I mean, I remember um, kind of coming up as a, a privateer mechanic, so to speak, when uh, it was like Toronto, maybe 2011. I had to come over to the Honda truck mm-hmm. to uh, to get some parts, and um, definitely kind of one of those those weird vibes. And and even, dude, I'd say as as late as what uh, Simmons went over there with Steely, so okay. 15, 16, something like that. Mm-hmm. I remember it was. It was still almost kind of a standoffish vibe. I mean, it was was kind of a not a prison. That's yeah. a little strong. No, that's but, strong. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it yeah. was like, hey, you're you're really not welcome in here. Stand outside the, the yeah. tent, and if you need something, we'll come to you. And um, I, I guess Kehoe, you know, helped transfer that a little bit. Um, he was still, I'd say, a little bit more strict than Lars. Lars yeah. is is pretty loose and free on some of that stuff, and. Um, now, I mean, dude, there's days where our Honda hospitality or the freedom around there will kind of rival 
the TOD hospitality back in its heyday. So, um, there's yeah, there there could be some traffic in there now for sure. Yeah, and the Lawrence Brothers help, right? They're 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 young kids. They're popular. Um, you know, everybody's coming around. Yeah, I just I feel like the vibe is good. You know. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Everybody's kind of got an entourage now, so that brings, um, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, a group of people there. So, I mean, it's just more heads under the tent, and you have to make room for them. So, you know, where do you draw the line? Who can come in? Who can't? And once you get into that, yep. there's all kinds oh. of things that come with that. So Definitely. it's kind of just a, no Lewis and no Anton. No Lewis, no Anton. I think that's the, that should be the rule <laughs> over there. So, you know, that's, uh, right that's just my opinion. Um, hey, so when. Look, we, I, I've I've said this to Kenny personally uh, a couple of times. First at KTM and at Honda, and he's he's a really good dude, Kenny, and he's uh, pretty open and honest about everything. Look, there, he wasn't happy with his bike at times, and, and and he was you know had virus issues, and not everything was rosy at Honda, despite all the wins and all the podiums, which you know any racer would take. His his Honda record's really really good, um, but mm-hmm. there were times you know he put out an Instagram post, he was upset, um, you know, and we know talking about the bike how much of that um you know fell on you and and made for an uncomfortable work environment or you know made it tense at times because you had a rider that was vocal and and not happy with with things uh, going on how, how how was that for you to balance because i i had that issue at yamaha a couple times and i would side with the rider just because i was such good friends with red dog i'd known him for so long and it, it caused issues with management with me and management um at times uh, how was it for you, man? That, that's uh, that's a loaded question for sure. Uh, <laughs> we we ask the tough questions, Jordy. Yeah. Um, no, I, there's totally. I mean, I, I've gone back and forth on it so many times, right? So as a mechanic, you're in this super weird gray area where you are. Yeah. You, rep- <laughs> you, you represent the team, and and you have to, you know, do what the team asks on a, on a technical aspect, mm-hmm. and and even. You know, just the way that you deal with your rider and what you're able to tell him and what he can and can't have. Yep. And then on the other side of it, like you represent your rider also to the team. So mm-hmm. you kind of have to filter through like some of their bullshit, what is good, what actually you need to take to the team and progress and push and say, hey, these yep. are the changes that we need to make. And then they also you need to filter some of that out and say, hey, Ken, like that. I, yeah. I can't push that or I don't want to push that. Or maybe that's a you problem <laughs> yeah. type of thing. So right. those, you know, it's definitely a sticky situation. Um, you yeah. do your best to try to navigate it and to do both as far as, you know, like when Ken would be critical of the bike and things like that, I think as a mechanic, that's something that you need to car, car, um, what is it? Carmenalize or, yeah. um, whatever that word is. Um, kind of where you can't let that stuff affect you um early on you need to figure out how to work around that type of stuff because um it'll just eat you alive so when he complains about the bike or something like that it's not necessarily my doings yes i could i could feel attacked but um as long as i'm giving him a product that's not failing on him and and meets his standards just because the suspension doesn't quite handle the way he wants, or maybe there's a chassis or a frame character or something that he's fighting and doesn't like, um, you know, as a mechanic, you got to recognize that that's not necessarily your fault. <laughs> and if he wants to criticize that, then, you know, that's, that's on him. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just a weird situation. Like, you know, we know he wanted the BFRC shock and, you know, couldn't have it cause there wasn't enough and he refused it. And, you know, he didn't want to ride with it early in the year. And, he was upset, and it's like, yeah, like you're kind of like, 
you, you know, you, the, the last thing you want to do to a rider is turn your back on them, right? You're in their corner 100% yep. like and everything, and you live and die by them. But at the other times, yeah, you got to be like, hey, man, that's a you problem. I like the word you said that. That's, that's actually not that's – a, that's a you problem. So Yeah. You know? And then, you know, like you said, that BFR shock, um, you know, it, it came across to the public that you know, we were doing – you know, things for Chase and not for Ken. And yeah. I can tell you 100% that was not the issue. That was not the case. Um, so, yeah. you know, we tried and provided, you know, I worked my ass off to to give Ken everything he asked for. And, he, I mean, he'll tell you that, too, at the end of the day. We've mm-hmm. had all these conversations, like, behind closed doors. We've had plenty of personal conversations and trying to sort through that stuff. And, um, yeah, we're, we're actually, you know, we communicate more now than we ever did. <laughs> How happy were you when you won Indy? Uh, pretty stoked. I, I was stoked. I wasn't there. Okay. But um, yeah, like I said, it's it's kind of weird. Our relationship is is actually stronger now. Maybe a little different. I uh-huh. I probably talk to him, you know, two three times a week now, and um, but mostly just personal and life stuff. Nothing about racing. And yep. Uh, I was just really happy to see him. That was such an emotional win for him and his team and what they've been able to accomplish. So um, I'm happy for for anybody to have success so that was cool yeah i think it was really for me one of the highlights maybe the highlight of supercross is just just seeing him win on that bike on that team and everything you know i don't have any personal connection to ken or suzuki but just neat to see the guy you know he bet on himself and and he won a race and he had a really good season you know so yeah um did that was pretty cool and he seemed like you know i mean ken is a really good guy uh i think that's what people maybe misunderstand is europeans as you know they they are blunt and honest people in interviews. You know, if you look at the F1 drivers or MotoGP, oh, yeah. MotoGP guys or whatever, that's the European way. And sometimes some Americans took it like Kenny's complaining, you know, and it's not. He's just telling you what he thinks. So, <laughs> Yeah, he, he's never really held back, and, and people do criticize him for that. But, um, dude, I think so many fans and just people in general, they forget these guys are human. And they just have – they all have different personalities. Yeah. And, you know – he, there's a lot on his shoulders and he's asked to do a lot and he can be, you know, vocal about a lot of his issues. Mm-hmm. Um, personal health wise, bike team career. He's kind of just one of those guys that wears his heart on the sleeve and he's criticized for it. But at the same time, you know, he's, he's also just a person and, yeah. and, um, is validated in a, a lot of the things he feels also. How much, uh, how much longer do you want to wrench for? Do you have some, uh, do you have eyes doing it, uh, for how much longer now, or do you have ide- ideas on something else you want to do? Well, I, I didn't know if you were privy to that information, but, um, I, as of right now, I'd never say never, but, um, I'm not a mechanic anymore. Oh, so oh breaking news. I'm, I did not know. Yeah. This. I'm, uh, the team, we're transferring some stuff around and, um, I'm kind of transferring into, backfill hutch as the 250 crew chief for the summer so well well, you um, told me that but i just thought it was for the summer because you didn't have a rider well i mean maybe it will be but (laughs) maybe going forward i'll stay there or Mm -hmm. maybe i'll get a rider again i'm not really sure okay um but as of right now um i'm just gonna kind of focus on that there's so much to learn and yeah uh, with data and mapping and computers and all that stuff. So sure. kind of a whole new world to me. So um, scary, but exciting at the same time. Um, just trying to, you know, transfer, you know, whatever I can do to, to help that side and yeah. and to learn their ways and everything. And maybe maybe I'll stay. Maybe I'll love it. Maybe mm-hmm. they'll ask me to stay. Or, you know, maybe they'll, they'll want me to go back and work for another rider again. 
I think people don't under, understand. I've tried to relay it over the years, uh, the amount of effort and work that you guys put in, whether it's the crew chiefs or the, the mechanics or you know suspension guys or whatever. It's just an absolutely insane schedule. It's so much work. And you know we added two more races this year. You got the off-season stuff. And um, I just – yeah, I think there comes a point. Like guys like Leroy and Berlute, who are out of it now, they did it for so long. Goose also – for so long, and I, I I look at that schedule and just shake my head at those guys doing it for that long. How much longer do you just want to, you know, do what you're doing as far as the work hours? Or do you see a point where you want to transition out into the industry, into some other role or, or something else? Or are you just still loving this so much you're in? Man, that's one of those things I talked to you about like two weeks ago when we yeah. talked about doing this was, um, you know, I – it's one of those things people don't understand and they don't see on, on Saturday, if everything goes well, um, you know, we look like heroes. We just hang out and <laughs> nut and bolt the bike a couple of times and put some gas in it and change. Tires and, uh, you know, just looks like we're cruising and cool guys, but people don't realize the, the time and the work that it takes all week to get to that point, to have such a smooth Saturday. Like those, those days are smooth for a reason. It's cause you cross the T's and dotted the I's all week and, you've been at the practice track and on flight and in the shop and all kinds of stuff. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know if people quite grasp that. Um, it is a lot of work, but at the same time, it's like we all sign up to do it and mm-hmm. we love it and there's a passion for it. Um, as far as transferring into this, this new role for the summer, I think, I don't know how my hours will end up looking, but you know, I'll be, definitely a lot less like hand, physical hands on the motorcycle yep. type of thing as yep. far as, you know, changing the parts and, and working the bike. But I'm, I'm kind of curious to see how that's going to go and whether that'll, that'll kind of put me into that seagull crew. We call it a seagull crew where you, oh, you, you hover fly, in. Yeah. You just fly in. Yeah. Yep. Fly in on late Thursday or Friday and, and then first thing out Sunday morning. So, mm. um, that'll cut a couple days off the road yep. for me. So, um, yeah, I'm just I'm looking forward to that. I'm going to see how I like it, and um, hopefully, hopefully it's a benefit to my lifestyle, and I can get you know a couple more hours at home each week. Yeah. We'll see. The Seagull crew at Yamaha never set the tent up, and they they tried to get out of taking it down too. But yeah, yeah, yeah. that's that's what I, I got a problem with that here because our <laughs> Seagull crew they actually fly in on Thursdays, and they're oh they they're do? part of this. Okay, yeah, the managers and crew chiefs they're part of the setup crew, and. Um, as a mechanic, I love that because it's yeah. got your hands right, and you yeah, got yeah. you got the crew chiefs there to to go over data on Friday and make sure everything's you know perfect for Saturday, so there's no issues. But now, now that I'm going to that role, maybe I want to fly on Friday. <laughs> maybe I don't want to set up. No, I know that's the dude taking the tent down at the end of a national is the worst job in the sport. It's you're tired, it's hot, it's just terrible, absolutely the worst. So. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it can be brutal, but also tearing them down at eleven thirty after a supercross ain't fun either. So. No, that's true. We would do we would do the night show tear down a lot at Yamaha. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So I get, but you guys have another truck too. Like, yeah, that's the whole thing. Well, yeah, we got two trucks, and then if there's a bunch of people over there, or there's you know upper management, we can't uh, we can't tear anything down until yeah. later. So right, right. Yeah, it's a whole thing, right? Um, yeah. Jo- Jordan Troxel on the Fly Racing Racer X podcast. Let's get in the time machine a little bit and go back. Uh, you, you grew up, uh, where, uh, I grew up in a small town in Virginia. Okay. Okay. How do you make your way to California? <laughs> Man, it's, uh, that's a rabbit hole to go down. Um, I guess to just try to make it somewhat quick. 
uh, you know, five-year-old kid, get a four-wheeler, a dirt bike, start mm-hmm. racing hair scrambles. Been in my very first uh, national, 1996, Budge Creek National, and um, just fall in love with it. Yep. And then uh-huh. don't necessarily see yourself going to California or be a mechanic, but, you know, race for eight or ten years as an amateur, always have the dream of, mm-hmm. of being a pro. Of course, it never happens. It's while well, we're all yeah, yeah. on the other you know, side of it. We're all failed pros for sure. Yeah. Pretty much, yeah. right? We're yeah. all racers that just didn't make it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I tried the college thing for two years, and um, honestly, I was failing out of one of my math classes at the uh, community college. This is my final semester there before I transferred to James Madison, and I was like, "This, this is not for me." And um, dude, like the next week, I met with an MMI rep, and I went there. And then, um, dude, it was pretty much just head down forward. Everything after that, I once I graduated, I, I didn't really have a backup plan. I never had a plan B. Did at you go that to point. M- Did you go to MMI to be a like a Supercross motocross mechanic or just a mechanic? Like, no, I, I had Supercross motocross okay. in mind yeah, at that yeah. point. Yeah. yeah. Once I made the decision to sign up and go there, there was no dealership option for me. That I just wasn't going to accept that. Um, you know, I kind of I went to the school and I told everybody, "Hey, I'm going to go to a team." And <laughs> what are the, what do they laughed because a lot of kids don't. You know, yeah, it's, it's, for sure, the school doesn't guarantee you that. It's it's your work ethic and your dedication that that gets you here. So, looking back on but, it though, looking back on it, don't you wish like that Scotty Atkins school had been around a little bit back then? Because I think he's doing a more specific race team job, and also it's cheaper, and also he does help place you. You know. For sure. I mean, yeah. probably time-wise, money-wise, yeah. all that's better. And, you know, he still has an industry connection where mm-hmm. he can farm you in to, um, you know, a privateer team or an amateur or something like that. I kind of just had to do that the hard way. I mean, I took three or four months off after I graduated um, just hunting down the right the right position to be a mechanic because I did not want to go to a dealership. Yeah. and. Try explaining that to your parents or your friends. Or you're like, <laughs> really, right? <laughs> you know, you're just going to, you know, Gold Cup races in Florida on the weekends, working for free, uh, handing out resumes. I yeah. mean. So this is in Orlando. Worked, you went to the Orlando school, right? There's yeah, one, the Orlando one, school. Yeah. And, okay. you know, that, that uh, winter, spring series of whatever that was, 08, when I graduated. Yeah. I was just going to the, going to those races on the weekends, dude, handing out resumes to john starling i i I see him every weekend at ama and i gave him crap i'm like hey did you know i gave you a resume like 16 years ago and you never called me back you never called me back you you mother effer um by the way by the way you're you're bud's creek 96 national i was there wrenching that day so maybe maybe you saw Corey keeney's mechanic and was like boy i just want to be that guy right there (laughs) well it it's kind of like hindsight's 2020, right? So I look back on those years when I was a, a young kid. I was the quiet kid who stood outside the tent. I didn't ask for anything. I was mm-hmm. too shy. Yep. Um, I just I watched the mechanics work, and I think that's where I kind of built the love and the passion unknowingly, even though I raced for 10 more years after that. I just loved watching the mechanics work. Did I would you really, huh? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Sat outside the tent all day. I mean, it was a, it was a big deal for for my mom to get the, the right tickets and the pit passes and get me in there oh, and try cool. to keep me in there. And, yeah. Um, I think one of the most like lasting impressions was Pete Steinbrecher, yeah. uh, 1997 Buds Creek National, uh-huh. gave me one of uh, Doug Henry's plastic. Oh, and, nice. Um, dude, been a lifetime Doug Henry fan and Pete fan ever since then. Yeah. Still hanging on my wall. I got it signed like five years in a row. So <laughs> nice. Oh, that's awesome. That's the that's the factory bike too. That's the OW. 
Yeah, well, I have that. Yeah, it's that prototype that works. Yeah, prototype uh, white four fifty. Yeah. Oh, nice. So, oh, interesting. So, did you did you get anywhere with any of those resumes or anything? Like, I know you started with Team Goss, and we'll get into that. But did you get anywhere? Did you get any jobs? Um. Yeah. So I um I just did that for a while. Man, my, my first job it was just for a month, and I'll be honest, it was an absolute nightmare. Um. <laughs> It was it was through a buddy down there um, who actually knew uh, Alan Censorillo and, okay. and those guys, and um, so that little group of the Censorillos and the Cummins, uh, mm-hmm. they had this uh, this kid on fifties. He was like literally like a five year old kid, six year old kid, and um, the family just had money and they wanted um, they needed a mechanic for the month of March to do uh, Whitney and Oak Hill. Okay, so. I flew in or I literally did the whole month for um, like my flight and like, I don't know, $500 for the whole month or something stupid. <laughs> it was, it didn't make sense, but I went there just to network, um, hand out resumes, you know, meet people like Alan Censorillo and, and anybody else that, that would uh, take the time to listen to me and watch me work. Yeah. And um, my resume got in the hands of uh, an amateur, uh, Ronnie Goodwin, his dad, uh, one of your Vegas locals. Yeah. And then um, by, what, May of that year, I was uh, in Vegas starting my, my first, I guess, real gig for um, Ronnie Goodwin. He was a B-rider at the yeah. time. Wow, okay. Um, pretty fast, right? I mean, yeah. if you, I graduated in January. I spent three, you know, three months dicking around trying to get my resume in the right hands. But, yeah, by May, I was... I was um, flying to Vegas and wow. literally handed a. I was like what, twenty one years old. Uh-huh. So I was handed a sixteen year old kid and um, like six motorcycles, a forty foot fun <laughs> mover. And I was told, "Hey, you guys have three months to go travel the country and get his pro points." Yeah. And yeah. you want to talk about learning responsibility and growing up fast um, when you have you know all of that on your shoulders at at twenty one. You. You just got to figure it out. Yeah. No, I, I kind of got the same story. I was given the keys to a box fan and said, yeah. uh, you know, yeah, there you go. Supercross series. Um, you know, this is the days of uh, a map on your on your knee, uh, like a Rand McNally na- map. And I'm yep. from Canada uh-huh. trying to find the trying to find the uh, stadiums, you know, uh, with a map. Uh, let's see. The St. Louis Dome is G38. Okay. I got to go down here. You know what I mean? Like that kind of shit. Yeah, right? that's super cool. Right. I mean, I, I remember um, – as an amateur or a kid growing up, just sitting in the top bunk of our motorhome while my dad drove, and I love maps too, so I would just like study the maps as we drove down yeah. the road. And yeah, um, oh yeah, I miss those things. Looking back at your like, I thought I was a pretty good mechanic. I did my own uh, mechanicing growing up. My dad is a car mechanic, licensed, and that's what he did for a living. And so he taught me how to work on a bike and et cetera, et cetera. And my first job in '96, I thought I knew what I was doing. And I look back now, and I'm like, I didn't know. Shit. Uh, but you actually went to MMI. So how did you handle the mechanical aspects your first few years? And did you feel like you were ready and you knew what to do and you, you didn't make any mistakes? Like I, I made some horrific mistakes. But what about you? Uh, for sure. We all make mistakes. I mean, I still make mistakes now. I think we all do. We're human, right? Yeah. But, um, yeah, it was – I mean, MMI definitely helped me just kind of like build a foundation. And, and I'm one of those kind of guys where if I see it on paper and I understand how it works on paper first – um, honestly, like theory was six weeks and everybody hates that class there. It mm-hmm. was the most 
beneficial for me to, you know, learn the patterns of the motor and the carburetor and all that stuff and how they work. I really benefited me and, and being able to apply. And then, you know, past that, I mean, yes, I feel like you're either mechanically inclined or not. Mm -hmm. It's righty tighty, lefty loosey, and you got to feel for it or you don't. And some of that stuff is hard to teach. Um, you gain knowledge as you meet people and have more experience and teach you things throughout the way. But at first, dude, it's just, it's just the basics. And as far as the mechanical thing of it, I, I think young kids coming up, uh, for one thing to, I guess, to learn is yes, you're a mechanic and you're working on the stuff and, and you got to be on point and not make mistakes, but truly working on the bike is 50 percent of the job yeah. sometimes and and the rest is um you know showing up on time like having a good attitude being able to work with people being mm -hmm. able to learn from people being able to mold and, and flow when things don't go right um personality wise clicking with the riders and the families and the teams yeah. and the managers and there's yeah. just so much else besides building the bike for yep. sure no I ru i've run into a few guys over my time that were great mechanics but they were just jackasses or they drank too much or you know, yep. they thought they were great. You know, you got to be a little humble. Uh, you got to eat yep. some crow sometimes, right? Because you're not For the sure. boss and, and uh, other people can't really quite do that. Um, where do you go from Goodwin? How do, what's your next step? Uh, so we did um, we did all of our, our pro-am stuff that summer. Super fun summer. Um, staying on the road with, with Ronnie. We built a great relationship. Uh, went up in New England, did a bunch of races up there. Did the amateur days, like the last four nationals. Then he ends up um, dislocating his hip at Steel City, mm -hmm. and um, he's you know thinking about retirement. Uh, he tells his dad he wants to, to quit or whatever, and um, he's like, hey, man, if you should look for something else if there's anything else. And I was like, all right. Well, I had met his friend, Landon Courier, during that summer, and I made friends with his dad, Darren. And um, that was kind of the next natural progression. I, I called Darren, and he was like, love to have you. And um, then I did the winter and spring series with landon on a uh boy yamaha in 2009 okay all right i don't know too much about landon courier but um super super fast kid from northwest yeah um had a red bull deal uh yamaha deal at the time after me he went into that rockstar the bobby hewitt rockstar team for okay. a couple years yeah but then he uh had some injuries had some illness and then what was it i was at tld so it was probably like uh, 11, 12, I think he was going to make like a privateer supercross debut and ended up shattering his heels up at Michael Lessie's track in okay. that desert and, um, went through, I think years of, of rehab and, and some, some stuff with, with that injury. So, yep. so, uh, early on in my mechanicing career, I was making, I made $300 a week, my first job and I wasn't making any money. My mom back home in Canada, Jordan was just terrified that I was just going to be this loser, not making any money, you know, like destitute, broke. And she was telling me, like, you got to come home and get a career. You know what I mean? You got to come home and get a yeah. job. And how were your parents this whole time? Like, what did they think of you chasing this dream? And I don't know. Like, I, I definitely leaned on my mom a couple times for to advance me some money here and there. I don't know if you were the same. But what was it like for your parents to, to see you chasing this? Were they stressed or were they like, cool, man, do it? If they were stressed, they never – Oh, um, okay. Man, if – hands hands down to them they did such a great job and 
you know, you don't realize it till you grow up, right? Like you just think, oh, you know, whatever they help me, they help me. And, yep. you know, I, I grow up and I look back and then I learned the, the incomes that they were on and I went racing, you know, 30 yeah. <laughs> some weekends a year as a kid. I had everything I wanted. I had the cool gear, the bikes. And um, then when I went to, to MMI and I went to Florida at 20 years old by myself, you know, moved out at 19 for the first time. And dude, you do, you know, you don't have shit, you don't yeah. have money and you don't really have much life experience. Yeah. And, um, for sure there were times where I, you know, I didn't know it, but you know, they were scraping back home to get what they could get to keep me going. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, and they were super supportive and they've kind of like, if that's your dream, then, then that's what yeah. you want to do and put everything into it and chase it. And that was, that was so, super thankful for that. So like Ronnie Goodwin and Landon Courier, did, where were you living? Just with them, just whatever on a couch. Like you were probably had no had no fixed address, right? Yeah. So that's kind of where I guess I hit the first bump in my career. Is um, so 2008. You know, I'm 21 years old. Yeah. I I moved to Las Vegas. I get handed a bike, a program. Yep. Go on the road for four six months or whatever. Come back. Um, I go straight into working with Courier, and uh, I live. I kind of got to move up to the outside of Washougal area. Um, I'm there during the winter. It's kind of miserable. Other mm-hmm. than that, I'm living in a like just a small room above their shop and their garage. Yeah. And when I'm on the road, I'm living in a, a fifth wheel with his family, right? Yeah. And, um, you know, it's not mine. Yeah. And I, I'll be honest, that first year nonstop, I kind of got burnt out, homesick, whatever sure. you – want to call it and um i'm like dude i'm 21 like what am i doing like uh i'm just living in other people's space all the time <laughs> I, I i didn't have my personal space no and, um kind of bothered me and anyway long story short some drama happened you know i ended up leaving leaving the couriers and mm-hmm. um dude i took like a, a two-month vacation oh you did i went yeah. <laughs> yeah i went back to my best friend's house and uh Melbourne, Florida, that I had gone to school with there. Okay. And, um, dude, I just hung out and we did the boat every day. And it was probably one of the greatest summers of my life. <laughs> nice. Nice. So, yeah, um, it did sound like then you made you made a little bit of money that you could do this because I, I never did. I was always like struggling. Oh, that's, the, that's the weird part. You look back and you're like, man, I wasn't making any money. How the hell did I do this? And <laughs> you're not really you're not really sure. Uh, funny you, story. During yeah, during yeah. that time, I was. I was like, man, I don't know if I want to go back to Moto. Like, I got kind of burnt out. Uh, I did an online course and got my bartender's certificate. Oh, shit, really? Oh, I didn't know this. Never, never served a drink in my life. <laughs> Thankfully, uh, about like July, Ronnie called me. Okay. And he was like, hey, I'm going to come back to racing. We're working on this Red 7 deal for next year. Yeah. Um, I want to do the last four nationals. Will you fly to New England and meet me? And I was like, yep, I'm back in. Let's go. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, that's awesome. That's a cool little story. I, uh, I lived with Shane Drew for a while. You can ask him about that. God for, bless you. For about a month or so. Um, anytime anybody gets mad at me, I'm like, well, blame Shane Drew. Cause he really helped me get started down here. And uh, right? I lived with him for a little bit. So, um, how were those nationals then with, with him? How'd they go? Um, not well, I don't, I don't think we ever made one. Um, but once again, I, I just, I was happy to be back on the road. I had gotten my break and, yeah. um, I did the four with him and there were some other guys. Uh, I think around that time I met Austin Squires. Uh, he was hanging out and mm-hmm. pitting out of our truck with us. Um, and then kind of, yeah, we didn't make any nationals then, but Ronnie 
there was a new team coming up in Las Vegas um, called Red Seven. Yeah, um, I remember that. Yeah, kind of. It, it was a cool, snazzy looking team. Definitely a little underfunded, um, but I was like, "All right, cool, let's do that." It was going to be him and Partridge, and I got to do the uh, the U.S. Open in 2009 with him, which was pretty cool. Was that the was, kind was of that like, the Demuth year where Demuth almost won it and all that? Was that '09? Um, I don't uh, know. '09. Okay. Uh, we, we weren't racing up there, so I don't. Okay. I don't remember. <laughs> But um, super cool experience to go do that and um, hung out with the manager and uh, yeah moved back to Vegas for my second time then. So, did you start making some connections either at these nationals with Goodwin or at the U.S. Open with with you know factory team managers or team managers of, of, of support teams and that kind of stuff? Did you? Um, yeah, so like obviously that's always the goal, right? Yeah. And you're coming up and um, wherever you're at, like as happy as you are and as good as things are going, like if you still have a goal and you want to get to a team or you want to go to the top and you just, you just keep chipping. And I think that's one of the unique things about my story is, um, dude, it's just this small chipping ladder mm -hmm. for, for 15 years. I mean, everybody's got a story and some are unique and some not necessarily get lucky, but you know, they, come they come from nowhere and then two years later they're they're winning races and yeah but that just wasn't wasn't my story you know i i just slowly chipped and chipped and chipped and you know amateurs and then privateers and then making mains and then top 15s and um but yeah it was that next year that 2010 year where i got on the road and was actually in the supercross series that i could start like you know seeing other other people on teams team personnel and yeah and kind people yep. to start you know getting my name and face out there making connections that kind of thing yeah yeah now you worked for gus team gus at one point or was that a volunteer thing or did you go with your rider or how did that, how no. did that come together I, your notes are wrong steve okay. i never worked for really for team gus yeah i thought i thought you did okay yeah my my research my, i'll fire my research department um, yeah, maybe, I mean, maybe you confused that Red 7 year. Um, mm, we were yeah. probably looked like a Team Gus, but... Um, <laughs> I, 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 uh, I did not know this. Okay, so what was the... Who'd you do it with that first year that you did did the races? So this is like another character-building moment in my yeah. career where I go um, into the two, 2010 Supercross season mm -hmm. working for Ronnie, um, my, you know, my yeah. first amateur guy. Yeah. So we go... Um, making night shows, um, never made a main event, unfortunately, but, um, you know, just kind of loving it, being in the crowd, being, you know, part of the thing. We got a semi, we got a tent, we got team gear, like we're cool. Yeah, right? right. And, um, networking. Uh, the unfortunate part about that is the team didn't have much money and, um, yeah, they kind of hustled me around a little bit, but I, uh, Probably one of the only guys. I won't say only. I'm sure there's there's others that do it or have done it. I lived in the semi with the driver in the cab <laughs> for 17 rounds of Supercross, and the well, team was I, I too broke to get us hotels during the week. So no shit, Steve. From Sunday morning, I would get in the cab with the driver, uh -huh. uh, Rollo Manning. He lives there in Vegas. Still great friends with him today. And um, we would literally drive and live in the cab from Sunday until frickin' Thursday night until we could get a hotel again when the team got in. And just shower and at truck stops and stuff? Yeah. yeah. Truck stops, the whole nine, slept in the sleeper. Um, but 
the team wasn't really based on results then, obviously. Or were you driving or, or like no? That. No driving for you, or were you driving? I mean, no, not legally. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there, there was a couple of times where you know we might have stopped on the forty somewhere in New Mexico, and yeah, I would. I would hop in and, and try to get through the gears and get that thing on the freeway. It that's, did happen a couple of times. That's but, hilarious. Um, yeah. I, I did that too. Uh, Red Dog joined. I didn't do it for as long as you, but Red Dog got picked up by Chaparral in 99 after the first two nationals. Um, mm-hmm. And Dave Dameron at Chaparral, multi-multi-millionaire, just had no no time for any of my travel expenses, just no money, nothing. And yep. it was just said, you have to live with Big B. So I live with Big B. For the summer nationals, in the truck, and we, but we would get hotels. Dave would pop for hotels for Big B, so a little different. But I was, yeah, I was just living in the rig with him for that summer of '99, and neither one of us were very happy about it. Like, I think I got on his nerves, he got on mine, um, (laughs) and and it wasn't great. We laugh about it now, but um, yeah, it wasn't wasn't awesome. So, but again, like, dude, like you talk about what you're doing that, and like you said, they kind of hustled you on pay a little bit. So it doesn't sound like it was great. Yeah. And then, but you were like, the average person is not doing what you're doing. They're not going to do it. They don't want it that bad. Yeah. They're not going to live no, in, the, in the truck driver, in the cab, you know, all 17 rounds and, and shower at truck stops. Like that's where I, I think some of us mechanics and I, I include myself in that, like you just wanted it so bad you would do it. It just seemed like a normal life because you just wanted to do this so badly. It really was. And at times it was cool and other times it absolutely sucked. Um, <laughs> looking back, I don't know if I was just stupid or or what the deal was, but I mean, we did it, man. And I specifically remember we were in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Uh, it went Indy, Atlanta. I actually think Ronnie had just gotten hurt. He broke his leg in Indy in practice. And then Partridge was on the team. He didn't even have a mechanic. I think the truck driver or buddy would work for him on the weekends. So they were just like, all right, cool. Well, you'll work for Kyle the rest of the, the season. <laughs> I was like, in a way, cool, because I'm like Kyle was making mains. And I was like, dude, I, I finally get into main events. Yeah. But um, me and Kyle's personalities didn't really click. Uh-huh. And um, it was just kind of a we worked our rounds together type of thing. And, um, but anyway, we went down and, uh, it was one of those cold days in Atlanta or cold weeks in Atlanta, mm-hmm. Indy to Atlanta. We get there Sunday night. The, uh, the heater in the trailer is broken and, um, no hotel. They won't get us a hotel. Mm-hmm. Me and Rolla literally sat in the cab of that tractor for like four straight days and just, <laughs> and just stared at each other because it was so cold. We couldn't do shit. Yeah. And like there, dude, we were looking at flights like. We were having those, you know, those negative thoughts where we were like, dude, we get this flight and, you know, we, we laugh about it now, but we were ready to just like screw the team over and like yeah. literally fly back in on Thursday, drop the semi keys off on their desk and be yeah. like, fuck you guys. Good job. Good luck. You know, know trucks dude. in this, this lot. <laughs> and, um, but <laughs> I guess it's one of those moments where you look back and you're like, well, thank God I didn't do well, that. <laughs> it's 30 degrees. What are we doing today? Nothing. We're just, stare- <laughs> yep. we're just sitting in this cab all day. Um, yep. yeah, when I worked, when I got the job in 98 for FMF Honda, they said, Hey, we got a house for you to stay at. And I'm like, okay, cool. So they flew me back to California. I was out East somewhere and I go to this house and I go like, Hey, I knock on the door and there's a bunch of, bunch of South Africans there that are all do the FMF support rigs. And they're like, yeah, there's no room for you here. And I go, no, they told me I, they had a room here. And they're like, no, there's no room here. You can't stay here. And I'm like, but, but Hilton said, and they're like, yep, yeah, nope. See ya. 
And I literally got an air mattress uh, and went to the race shop in Torrance uh, and slept in an office on, a, on an air mattress in the race shop. There was a shower in there. I used to hear the rats running around at night. <laughs> and I did this for two months, like until we went back east, when, when we had a race shop back east. But, like, dude, nobody's doing that. Not Normal people aren't doing that. <laughs> they're just not, no, you know? They're not. I mean, I'm glad to hear that you, you know, you put in some time in, yeah. in some of those situations, too. But... Uh, so looking back, man, I had so many of those stories and times where I'm like, dude, what the hell were you doing? By the way, I went to Berluti's house the other day, and Ronnie Goodwin's KX500 is there. He's doing Baja races, and Berluti's still working for him and work helping him with bike setup and stuff. So he's still uh, still riding. Yeah, speaking of Berluti, like one of the legends of the sport, right? So yeah. uh, what 08 or whatever, you know, I wasn't doing Ronnie's motors or anything mm-hmm. in depth like that. So whenever we would have a a you know a motor issue or need to get a motor rebuilt. Um, you know, Ron, his dad would take me over, introduce me to Tony. And then I would just go from there. And I spent several, you know, nights in Tony's garage, uh, helping Tony like rebuild Ronnie's motor and just listen to Tony vent about like his Suzuki problems and people (laughs) he didn't You obviously know Berlut, right? So he don't, he don't hold anything back. And I'm like this new, young, impressionable mechanic. And there's like literally one of the great mechanics (laughs) of, of all time. And, and he's going just in his garage with you, but eight o'clock, and he's just motherfucking. It's just, and he's just it's like, "Fuck it, the cost of this, and fucking Roger this, and yeah." yeah. <laughs> and I'm just like, "This is great. This is great." <laughs> yeah, you're like, "Why do I ever want to be in this industry?" This guy who yeah. I thought had all the money and all the fame hates Suzuki yeah. right now. <laughs> but and it's like, and like, no, it's not a knock on on Tony at all. Obviously, no. he's super. Yeah. He's a great dude, but you know, just in that space, uh, yeah. and like. Shit, fast forward 15 years, I'm like, well, hell, I, I see where he was at. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly right. No, it, it's so funny that once you get on the inside, you know, and abs- I remember, too, like, uh, you know, I worked at Yamaha, and we're like, fucking, Honda doesn't have these problems. Honda doesn't have this issue. Honda doesn't have these problems with these pistons and, and carburetor problems and blah, blah, blah. And then Gothic J gets a job at Honda, and he's like, oh, no, dude, we got the same problems over here. Like, it's, you know what I mean? You, you, and then when you're, look, yeah. when you're working for Red 7, you're like, ah, oh, Suzuki has, is perfect. There's no problems at Factory Suzuki. And then you hang out with Berlut, and you're like, oh, wait, there's lots of problems at Suzuki. <laughs> so yep. It's funny that way. Um, so how do you meet Tyler Keefe and, and get a job at TLD? Um, so it's that, it is that 2010 season. Yeah. Uh, 2010 season. Yeah. I meet, um, Corey Martin, who is the driver at okay. TOD at the time. And, um, I like, for whatever reason, I mean, they were, you know, uh, a B level team or whatever satellite team we were yep. going to call it. And, um, but dude, Corey was super cool. And I remember meeting him in Seattle, I think for the first time. And, um, dude took us in the truck and I don't know if you, if you remember this, Steve, but like, do you remember your first time like going in like a real race truck, um, when you're, you know, of age to, to kind of remember it and like just the smell of the chemicals and the race fuel and seeing all the clean bikes <laughs> and, and the immaculate truck. And you're just like, I want to work out of this truck Yeah, and like, yeah. I'm going to do whatever the hell it takes. Like, this is where I want to be. Right. So for whatever reason, I put TOD on my radar, and I was like, "That's an obtainable goal." Um, was this did they did they have a full semi at this point? Yeah, they okay, did. It right, was okay. their older semi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, GDR Honda, your Canadian team, yep. has that semi right now. Yep, yep. Um, but anyway, that took like a a year to come about. Um, Red Seven that season finished Supercross. They weren't doing outdoors. I um, they had an amateur kid, Jamie Gardner, 
um, worked for him for the summer, did Loretta's and stuff for him, uh, got connected with the Honda Houston boys at, during that no, summer. Okay. Yep. So then um, I actually sidetracked before I get to TOD. Um, I'm ready to leave you know, red seven by the end of that summer. <laughs> really? Yeah. It sounds like <laughs> and, you were ready. I'm like, all right, where's, where's the next wrong? Like, let's, let's move up. Let's do this. Yeah. And, um, I start hunting around and actually weird story. This is the first of three times I almost worked for Cooper Webb. Okay. Um, I called Bobby Webb, his dad. Cooper was on a 150. Uh-huh. He was a Red Bull kid. I met him through working with Courier and I was getting ready to fly out to North Carolina to meet with Bobby. And um, they're thinking about it anyway. And then I call Naveen. You remember Naveen? Oh, yeah, Naveen. Great guy. Yeah. And the great guy. So I call Naveen because I had worked with him that summer, um, the Red 7 Honda Houston partnership to those amateur races. And I called Naveen. And I was like, hey, I'm thinking about flying out and, and I'm meeting with Bobby and, and looking at this Cooper thing. And he's like, why don't you stop in Houston first? And I'm like, all right. So another one of those stories, right? I don't, we don't have any money. So I fly like standby on a pilot pass for something and Mm -hmm. get, get to Houston. And, um, I'm there for like a week. Uh, literally same thing. Like Naveen, God bless his heart. He's such a, a genuine dude. Um, he would take in all these young guys, these young mechanics that like, you know, wanted to, to get in and, and be on their race team or whatever. And, dude, he would just house them and feed them and spend his money on them and give really? them a place oh, to live. Wow. I didn't know this. Oh, okay. yeah, dude. Yeah, like, yeah. there was, like, dude, at times there would be, like, six mechanics living in his, like, single-bedroom apartment. We literally – I had an air mattress on top of the coffee table um, <laughs> because there was someone sleeping underneath of it at one point Yeah. Um, during that week. And um, I met Sean Martin, absolute great dude, great friend to this time. Yeah. And they were like – Hey, come down here. So worked it out, signed a lease on an apartment before I left. Um, big, big life moves, right? I'd signed six month lease on an apartment. <laughs> I'm like, dude, that's commitment. So, um, went down there. The deal was I was going to kind of just be a mechanic for their amateur team and also do like all of the motocross stuff that came into their, their dealership. Okay. Um, and learn from Naveen. That was the biggest thing. Was I got to work every day beside Naveen. Yeah, really learn, smart guy. Yeah, yeah. Learn motors with him, and dude, he taught me so many life lessons. Uh, I give that guy so much credit as to kind of rebuilding my work ethic and and where I wanted to go after that, and how I viewed and approached the way I worked. But um, then right before the East Coast season started, like a week or two. Um, something happened with Lance Vincent's mechanic mm-hmm. and Naveen was like, Hey, I need you to go expedite a passport. You're going to work for Lance. And I was like, Oh, well, okay. Well, you know, here's, here's my next opportunity. Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I did that. And then did the 2011 East coast series with Lance Vincent on that Rockwell team. Yeah. Uh, we, we pitted out of the Rockwell truck, but Naveen did the motors and we worked with Bracken Hall, um, but funny thing about that is, as great as things were, I had my own personal van, and Naveen wanted the motors back to his shop every week, right? Okay. So even though we were pitting out of the Rockwell truck, I was driving my own damn personal van to every East Coast city and then turning around on Sunday and hightailing it back. <laughs> going down, back to the shop. <laughs> going back to Houston so that Naveen could, you know, get into his little baby and, and go through his motor. Yeah. And, um, man that one wore me out but um 
Dude, we had, we had a great season that year, Lance's rookie season, and um, I just saw him in Houston actually this year and caught up with him for twenty minutes. That was really cool. Yeah, nice nice um, kid. I remember being a nice kid. He's obviously he's the one that Barsha roosted uh, when he roosted the medic. Yeah. That's when he was mad at. But but yeah. you know that's kind of what he's known for. But he he had some talent. He was a good rider. Yeah. Yeah, super fast. Um, it was that. It was during that series that um, Corey Martin called me back and was like, "Hey." Tyler Keith asked me about you. Um, we have a spot for the summer. This was in like April for mm-hmm. Tara Geiger. And I was like, the women's rider don't care. Yeah. I want to be on that team. I'll figure it out. Yeah, yeah. Basically TK called me and was like, Hey, I got like a three month gig for Geiger for the summer. There's no promise. There's no guarantee of anything after that. Yeah. And I was like, don't care. I'm there. Tell yeah. me when to be there. I just get me on that team. Yeah. I'll, I'll show you my work ethic. I'll show you my dedication, and you know we'll figure it out at the end of the summer. Wow, I'm surprised they I, I didn't like they put money and resources into a women's mechanic for the team. I didn't know they were that into it back then. So yeah. that's good. Well, <laughs> if I told you my salary, you would laugh because okay. It wasn't <laughs> <laughs> but again, you just this is the yeah this is the spot. Like it doesn't matter, right? They could have almost said anything, and you would have been there. yeah. Well, yeah. yeah, pretty much. And I mean, she did eight races that summer, and um. But besides that, you know, I was like practice guy, helping the guys out when they were on the road and um, doing that stuff. And then uh, I got double dutied, and that's when I started working with Nelson as an amateur. Mm-hmm. So kind of part of that gig was I did Geiger's stuff and Jesse's stuff at the same time. So, Oh, boy. Um, yeah, I was, I was busy for sure. Yep. And what's what was TK like to work with all those years? Like, he's a he's a good guy. I, I, I'm friends with him, but he can also – he can be a bit of a dick. Um like he's a hard guy. He comes from Mitch Payton school, right? His dad and Mitch are good buddies. He grew up around Payton and his team. Um, like he was a, I kind of imagine TK always Tyler Keith always being the easiest guy to work for. Um, at first he was not. That's for sure. Yeah, I think um, so. He had just kind of inherited management of that team about six months prior to okay. me coming on. Mm-hmm. So I was the first personnel that he actually hired that wasn't already in place. Yep. So for several years, I felt like he kind of, you know, held this thing over me of like, you know, you're my first hire, you're my guy. Yeah. I can control you more than I can control the rest of the, the yeah. mechanics because uh-huh. they were already here. Yep. Um, and there was times where we butted heads in those first couple years for sure. Yep. Um, you know, nothing like extremely nasty to, to break up the relationship. Yeah, yeah. There were times sure. where I was definitely, you know, not happy with him and, and no, things I mean, like that. Listen, it happens. There was times I wanted to light Jimmy Perry on fire. So I get it. Yeah. But then, you know, <laughs> maybe we can get into it more when we, when we get to the the Nelson story. But um, me and TK's relationship morphed over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, dude, we were actually, like, super respectful, super cool. We kind of found out um, so much more about each other and kind of who we were as people when we sat in the hospital room for three days when Jesse got injured. So um, that kind of changed our relationship for the the better moving forward. So after doing that, after Geiger, you moved into Jesse Nelson full time, and and this is Hondas, no, by the way, right? This is Hondas. This Still, is Hondas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is Hondas. Right. This is another thing where you know, as a a twenty four year old kid, I got butt hurt, and I was like wanting to to. I was mad at TK for this, where uh, I did the Geiger and Jesse in eleven. Mm-hmm. The Jesse eleven Loretta's has some podiums. Um, amateur stuff won like all the, all the other titles there were or whatever and then did 2012 
where did we go to like Alabama Mill Creek won some stuff there like I think won everything at Oak Hill that year and then Seeley gets hurt and literally like two or three weeks before the series TK's like hey Seeley's out I'm gonna move Jesse up and I was like all right cool well I want to go with him and TK's like nah sit down um we're gonna let Rich work for him mm. And I, I love Rich, great yeah. friend to this day. Like he's the one who got me the job at Honda. Nothing got respect, but I was like, dude, I want to work for Jesse. And TK's like, no, we're going to keep you on for Geiger for the summer. And so I was like, I was just bummed I didn't get to go with Jesse at that point, right? Yeah. Yep. Um, no disrespect to Tara. We're actually still great friends. Dude, we had two great summers together. I met a ton of new friends through her. Um, and I wouldn't trade those years for anything really like that. Those were really fun. But, uh, yeah, so Jesse got given to Rich for the summer, and then um, Jesse went to Eric Gass for the following two years before I got him back. Before you you went back to him. Okay. Um, And then who did you work for in between? So, let's see, 12, uh, Geiger, 13. That's when TK, like, kind of stepped me up and – was like, all right, cool. Well, I'm going to move you. I think the WMX series was kind of taking a shit, uh-huh. and it was going down to like three races, and all the money was coming out of it. So we didn't sign a woman's rider for the following year, and they gave me uh, Christian Craig. Um, his brother, Jeremy, uh, had just left the team. Uh-huh. So it's kind of like, all right, dude, I got one of the guys now, yeah. and we did 250 West that year with Christian. Um, man, I was talking to someone about this recently. As far as I don't know if I'm just jaded because of the time frame or how long ago it was, but dude, I remember like we had good dudes then, right? So Nelson, Craig, Seeley was a podium guy, a winner then. But I remember when we would field a 250 West team, dude, we would still get like sixth to tenth, fifth mm-hmm. to yeah. tenth, and it's like. I look at the field now, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but it ain't, is, it, is it not that deep, or am, am I just kind of jaded no, from that time frame? We're, we're, we're in a bit of a changeover, 100%. You're, we're, 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 we're in the lull of a 250 class right now. There, there's no doubt yeah. that both coasts were not what they – and to partly due to injuries, yeah. but, yeah, they're not as strong. Yeah. For sure. So I, I'm just like, man, dude, I just remember, like, we had good guys, and they were yeah. fast, and we were like – I remember me and Christian got a, like a six at the end of uh, at the end of that six six week West Coast run, and that was yeah. our best finish, and we were stoked. You know, it was personal career best for both of us at that point. So, so for you, but now it, yeah, it's, the six in that class is yeah. not good. No, it's 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 a little different. I think it's just ebbs and flows. It's a natural, uh, yeah. you know, existence of the classes. So at this point, you you have an apartment in California. You're going to a race shop. You're on your way. Like you're good. Um, yeah. Yeah, so actually that day I drove out to start my job at TOD in, in what, April of 2011. Uh-huh. Drove straight from Texas, uh, straight out here, sunburned. Left side of me was sunburned because I had the window down. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I showed up at the shop, and I was like, hey, Tyler, I'm Jordan. I'm here. And he's like, all right, cool. And uh, he's like, where are you staying? And I was like, I don't know. Don't have a place. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I was like, I'm just going to try to check Craigslist. And luckily – the mechanics on the team, uh, Jeremy Coker, put me in his family's house for a while, and then I actually got moved into uh, one of Troy's Troy's old house in uh, I don't know, Corona. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you ever heard any stories about that. No, but I didn't. I can imagine. <laughs> it's uh, an iconic house from back in the day. I got to live in for a few years, so that's where I was during those TOD Honda days. 
how did, how is Troy himself? Like, well, he's just oh, dude. Man. I I finally I got a podcast with him. It was really really hard to do. TK helped set it up, and he's like, "Look, man, he, he, you got thirty minutes before Troy's just over it. So I'll give you, and I, you know, it's, you need a little much more to talk to Troy Lee. But it was cool to talk to him for thirty minutes. But he was all over the place because he is just a unique character, man. Uh, yeah, that's it. That's that's <laughs> what to describe it, dude. Uh, I mean, he's an artist, right? Yeah. So yep, yep. I think their mind just works in different ways. Um, but dude, he's a blast. I mean, I think I worked for him for like three or four years and I don't know if he ever really knew my name by the time I left after eight years. <laughs> Probably I kind of had to like, you know, reintroduce myself like every time I come up and yeah. talk to him. So. Yeah, I know. I'm sure. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so you, I've been here eight years. So <laughs> you mentioned, uh, Jesse getting hurt, Unadilla, um, absolutely a crushing, obviously, uh, up and coming guy, race winner, all of that. And I'm guessing, Jordy, that's maybe one of the darkest times uh, in your pro career, in, for your professional career. Absolutely, yeah, um, terrible. Absolutely, um, Jesse did this video thing a couple of years ago, and I got a little emotional talking about it. But um, man, one thing I, I haven't talked to a lot of you know people publicly about is, um, dude, I was super bitter at the sport. Were you really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just because it was like. You know, I've been around motorcycles and racing for, you know, my entire life since I was like eight years old and I'm probably 28 at this time. So, you know, 20 years of being around it and the sport was kind of always there for me to invest, you know, my time and interest in when things and my life, you know, weren't going well. Like, so say you have a breakup or Mm -hmm. you're fighting with a chick, you just invest your time into the sport, right? And into your craft, into your work. And so then all of a sudden, fast forward to this. And I got Jesse, absolutely love the kid. I was like best friends with him. We got we connected so well. He's 22 years old, and the kind of the rug gets pulled out from under him, right? Yep. And you're just like, dude. And I was like, I was just kind of pissed at the sport, and I was like super bitter about it. I'm like, how can it? How can the sport that I've loved for so long do something to someone yeah. I care about? Yeah. You know. So that was tough for me for you know, a few months to kind of work, work through that personally. Um, but, um, I, it was, it was super tough. Like, and that's where I, I said, you know, me and Tyler's relationship kind of changed a little bit because yeah. even, you know, as much of a dickhead as he could be to me at times in the prior years and things like that. Um, when something like that heavy and that serious set in, I think you kind of, mm-hmm. everything else stopped for us. Right. Yeah. Like, nothing else, nothing else mattered. Like we were there for Jesse. So to see that out of him who had been such a hard ass for so many years, it was like, you know, we're kind of on the same page now and you kind of see where, you know, someone's morals and, and personality really stands at the end of the day when, yeah. when the real shit matters. No, for sure. And I've had many riders hurt and knocked out and whatever. And then, you know, I can't imagine going up to a guy who's like, I can't feel my legs. Like I just, Oh, it's everybody. I mean, even I ride now, Jordy, and you know, I, I get stressed about that. You know what I mean? Like it's dangerous, sure. and and uh, I can't even imagine what that's like. Yeah, especially again, blood, sweat, and tears with every one of your riders. We're all like that, I think, as a mechanic. And to see, I, I, yeah, just I can't imagine that uh, that feeling. So ugh. yeah, yeah, it, it was definitely a, a rough a rough day in New York for sure. Did you did you think about quitting or like were you? I mean, like you said, you're bitter at sport and and it sucks. Uh, but did you think about walking away or I honestly, as bad as it sounds like, no, no I, no. I didn't like, of course I, I needed a break. I mean, and you know, so we went 
a couple weeks past that. Um, and like we knew Alex Martin was coming onto the team and, uh, they were talking about bringing, you know, a mechanic for him. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, like, you know, business still kicks in and it sucks. But, you know, I remember like a week or two after like Tyler had to sit down and he's like, dude, Jordy, I know you're not in a great headspace, but, um, I, I need to know if you want to stay on and be a mechanic. And, um, I said, honestly, Tyler, like give me the rest of the month of September and to kind of get my shit together. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'll come back October 1st and I'll be all hands on deck and ready to go again. Yeah. He was like, all right, cool. Yeah. So we did that. And then that's when I um, started my relationship with Alex. And, uh, but I definitely, I needed that. I don't know if you want to call it that time to mourn or whatever, like yeah. those couple of weeks just to process and flush all that shit out type of thing. You know, you still keep in touch with Jesse. Uh, yes, I do. Um, probably not as much as we would like. Um, but like we actually did talk on the phone like a month ago. Um, seems like he's doing okay, right? It seems like he's doing all right. Yeah, I mean, I think um, him going back uh, back up to his hometown, yep. uh, being close to his family, um, definitely helped him. Being here in Southern California, still in the rat race when he wasn't doing it anymore, was definitely a negative headspace for him. Yep. So um, getting back up there helped him a lot. What was it like when you worked for Troll Train and one of your old riders, Christian Craig, just viciously attacked him in the practice session? Oh, dude, I was so pissed. And um, <laughs> um, that was in Detroit, right? Yeah, so Detroit, me and Alex yeah. had just came off of like our two best races of the series. We were on the we were podium guys that year, right? Like he was battling Smith, um, a teammate Smith or whatever. And um, I think I think Christian was. Uh, that was the year that I think Jeremy went over to Geico and I think Christian kind of wanted to be the guy and Jeremy was kind of taking some of his thunder away and Christian wasn't having one of those seasons that he had hoped for. Um, and I, I he just saw a Martin and just smoked him and absolutely <laughs> obliterated him. And dude, I was so pissed because like Alex fractured his back and his yeah. leg on that field. Dude. Yeah. It was and, a big um, one. Yeah. Yeah. I took us out and did, I, I was, you know, even then, like I was so heated and, and you look back, definitely immature. Like I yelled at Christian, I yelled at Derek, I, I yelled at everybody on the team. <laughs> like, I, was, I was so pissed, but, uh, you know, you go back and you get a clear mind and you're like, yeah. guys, it wasn't, it wasn't your fault. Like I'm not mad at you. Right. Right. So, yeah. um, but then a couple years later, uh, Ken pulls out of the 2020 motocross series and Christian Craig pulls in on his bike. Right. So it's like the second time I've worked with Christian, uh, after that deal, it's like the very first day I was like, Christian, we got to clear the air, buddy. Like I still don't like, I still don't agree and like what you did to Alex, but I fucking, we good. I know how you yelled at you, but can we move on? And then we were super cool. We had a great summer that year too. I still, I still send him DMS or texts of troll and be like are you happy you did this you know or whatever if, if yeah. there's a picture of troll on the ground or whatever so <laughs> um, well, that's yeah. good or bad that's one of those weird parts of my career now is that i look down at like to the 450 starting gate i look down this year and i'm like dude i've worked for like eight of these guys <laughs> that's and the point yeah <laughs> when you when you're in it long enough and you've done this dude everybody's gonna have a run-in with someone at some time yeah and you just gotta be professional enough to you know move on past that day and, and just get the oh. hell over it. Cause you're going to, you're all going to cross paths again. Right. So remember, remember Brian Barry, Dowd's mechanic. 
Yep. He wanted to fight me at Binghamton because Timmy took Dowd out. He, he was getting yelling at me and getting in my face. First of all, he would crush me, right? He's, he's the size of a bus. <laughs> Second of all, I'm like, dude, go beat Timmy up. Like, what? Well, I'm holding the pit board. What, what did I do? You know what I mean? Like, like yeah. I, I was calm enough to not get caught in, caught up into the yeah. old thing, you know? Because, like, when Langston and Brown were going at it, like, the, I, I was at KTM and, and, um, and in Pro Circuit with Brownie, and all the mechanics were kind of getting into it. And, I, and I'm always, like, a little – I'm able to control my emotions a little more. And at times I'm like, look, man, I'm just turning the wrenches. Like, right. go, go take it out on those guys. I don't know. What, I mean, that that comes with age and experience, right? I think so, so as, yeah. yeah. As, a, as a younger guy, like, of course, dude, I remember getting fired up. You know, years ago, when when dumb shit like that would happen, and uh, I never, I never wanted to fight another mechanic, but I would sure as hell tell them what I thought about their rider. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> but dude, and it's crazy, like the the progression, two fifty to four fifty class, and the maturity of the mechanics and everything as you mm-hmm. get there. Yeah, dude, the, the four fifty class, our mechanics, dude, it's such a good group of dudes. Like everybody's super respectful in the mechanics area. Like you tap a shoulder, you move in and out of the way, you share the space. Like no one gets mad. No one gets butt hurt. No one yells at each other anymore. Yeah. It's just like in the 250 class, it was just pure chaos. Like <laughs> you got just a bunch of young 20 year old mechanics who are just trying to have a dick measuring contest with each other at the yeah. same time. And it's just like, it's kind of funny to, to see that change over time. No, I, I agree with you. Uh, it is it is a different different story when you get there. Um, do you have an instance like? Um, well, actually, no, let me finish this up. So great run at TLD with Troll Train, and and you worked for McElrath in between there as well. Um, was TK butthurt that you went to Honda? Like you mentioned, Rich Simmons getting you the lead over there. Uh, you know, to me, it's a natural step up, and it's probably more money, and it's a, you know, it's the ultimate team in the sport. You know, in a, a Japanese factory team. Yeah. But was TK butthurt or was he okay with it? Um, if I'm being honest, I think he was butthurt. I'm <laughs> sure he was, yeah. You know. I don't know if he'll admit that. Um so the the thing that happened there and, and Alex's contract was up and um he was going to JGR and I was actually trying to go to JGR with, with Alex. Oh you were? Okay, yeah. Um they were kinda unsure what my path at T O D was gonna be. Um TK was promising me this or that and um I actually talked with Myrtle. I was gonna try to go with, with Al to, to JGR. Um that never happened. And then but I had kind of made up my mind, it was weird, you know, for the first eight years, like TOD was me. That was my identity. Mm-hmm. It's just I was just part of that group. It was embedded in me and I, I never wanted to leave. Like I didn't I didn't shop around really in eight years. And then um I just it finally clicked and I was like, Man, I think my time here is is gone like i was the whole group of mechanics had changed and i was now the like the older mechanic in the group and you know you have that time where you look in the mirror and you're like you have to realize it's not them it's me (laughs) so that was kind of one of those those pivotal moments where i was like i it's i've outworn my my stay here it's time to go so yeah um as soon as i put my feelers out you know, I called Rich, great friends. We've been, he's been instrumental in my career. And, uh, he was actually like, I'm working on some things here. I'm thinking about leaving Honda. Would you, would you want to come over here and fill in for me? And I was like, absolutely. Um, and that all dude, that transpired and and went down in like two weeks. And at the same time I was talking to star, um, they had something on the table for me and TK thought I was going to star. And Mm, I think he was, he was really pissed and, um, I, I heard he, he said some things like, uh, Jody, Jody's can't go to Honda or not going to go to Honda or something like that. But when I finally sat down and, and left, he was like, well, are you going blue? And I was like, actually TK, I just, 
I just signed with Honda. And he was like, what? <laughs> He's like, factory Honda or like Moto Concepts Honda? <laughs> yeah. Um, um, how was the interview but, with Kehoe? How was, were you nervous with talk, going in? Oh, talking? for sure. Yeah, 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 for sure. I mean, Kehoe's a legend, right? Yeah, I mean, this yeah. the whole organization is, yep. you know, cream of the crop. And um, yeah, of course, uh, I had a big ass beard that summer I was running with Alex and I was kind of <laughs> bummed. I had to, I had to shave my beard off and go and have an interview with Eric and Brandon Wilson. Yeah. But it was, um, it was super great. Dude, they were super smooth transition. Um, and, and they knew, welcomed me in and you knew Sealy. Did, did that help? Did that help? Yeah. You think? Yeah. A little bit. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Cause me and well, I hadn't worked with Cole. I had but, been on the yeah. team with him for years yeah. before. So yeah. Yeah, I wonder how much that, you know, if they thought, look, look, he knows Cole and, you know, they're, they're, they're okay. I'm yeah. sure they asked Cole about you and he vouched for you well, and, and all of that. So. And, the, and the biggest thing was just Rich giving uh, his blessing to yeah. the team for me. Right. So that was, I mean, that sealed the deal. So Yeah. Did you, uh, we're, we're running out of time here, so I, I want to get a few more questions in. Uh, Fly Racing Racer X Podcast with uh, Jordan Troxel. Did you, were you nervous, like, when you started Honda? Were you, I mean, look, you've, you've had it, you know, you won races with, with Troll Train and, and Jesse, and I think Jesse won one, right? Or did he win a yep, moto? Yep. Yeah. Um, and we won a Supercross and yeah. a GP. Yeah, that's right, GP too. Um, but, so you obviously know your stuff, and you know what you're doing at this point, but, dude, I just, I mean, I, I was the same way, but I, I got nervous at Yamaha uh, a little bit. Did, were you that way at Honda? I mean, I don't know if I'd call it nervous, right? I mean, you work your whole career to be in that point. So mm-hmm. you're like, well, I'm here for a reason. And, you know, I tell anybody that, like, if you have doubt, like even my riders, you know, if my rider has a doubt, I'm like, look at the team you're on, look at the bike you're on. Like you didn't just flip a coin and get here. Right. So you just got to believe in yourself and, and you're here for a reason. So just do what you've always done and, and the rest will come the way it should. So, but I mean, yeah, as, as prestigious as Honda was for sure, it was um, like, okay, let's, yeah. you definitely got to cross the T's, dot the I's, and, and make sure you don't drop the ball here. But I, I, at that point in my career, I felt ready to be there, sure. and um, you know, I was ready for the challenge. I think uh, a good theme of this podcast, and, and one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you about this, because I kind of knew about your path, although I got the Gus, Gus part wrong, but I kind of knew <laughs> your path was long and wasn't easy. And I relate it to myself as well. And I get DMs and, you know, I do this internet talk show thing where people are like, I want to be a mechanic. Uh, how do I get break in the industry? I, I mean, if I had a dollar for every, I want to break in the industry, what do I got to do? Email or DM, I, I'd, I'd have a lot of money. Um, yep. It's not easy, man. You got to do things that people wouldn't do. I, I, living in a cab for a supercross season with a truck driver, you know, all this stuff that we talked about yep. and things that I've done and, and every mechanic has done. It's not a linear path to, to Jordan Troxell, factory Yamaha mechanic, standing on the podium with Ken Roxon. Like, it just, yeah. it's a struggle, man. And there's lots of times where you were, like, not living a very great life, right? But you just, I think you just kept your eye on the prize and head down, work, and you work <clears throat> your balls off, right? And, and good things will happen. Yeah, and like I spoke with you prior, I, I don't want to like come off as being negative or anything when, when those kids ask me those, those type of questions, but... Mm-hmm. Um, Man, you got to be passionate. You got to have a love for it. I mean, all of us, not just myself, the other mechanics, the other personnel, how many hours we work. And, and, uh, I listened to your bones podcast this week to kind of get the gist of it and how many hours he's worked over his career and all the sacrifices we make. I mean, these young kids coming in, I just tell them like your passion, it, it better be strong because you're going to need to lean on it. I mean, there's going to be times where if you want to get the job done and get it right, um, those Friday night dates, they go out the window. There's nights with your friends that are going to go drink 
that you can't go. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to be gone on weekends. Like if shit hits the fan and you got a bike problem on Friday at the track and you're riding Monday, well, guess who's coming back to the shop on Saturday to get it done because there's no, <laughs> yeah. there's, there's no excuse. There's no, Oh, well this happened Friday and I wanted to go to the river on the weekend. Like, okay, cool. We'll, we'll have a stack of resumes here. I'll get the next guy, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Type of thing. And it's just, uh, it's just that type of motivation and, and dedication that, um, I think it only comes from passion and I just encourage these, these young kids coming up, like these are the things that you got to think about before you jump into this and it might not pay you well. I mean, yeah. dude, I didn't, I didn't break even. I was in debt for the first eight years of my career. <laughs> for sure. I, I, I can relate, man. I, I, <laughs> I was I mean? broke. Like, I was broke forever. Yeah. So yeah. it's like, if you think you're just going to come in here and, and get the fame and the money and get a guy that wins right away. I mean, there's some guys who have who've done that, but that just wasn't my path. And um, it, there's luck, and unfortunately, there's some luck involved with that. And um, you just better be willing to work hard. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's 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 your. Pa- I like you leaning on your passion because yeah, there's gonna be times where you're like, dude, this is an unreasonable request. I've worked yeah. this many hours. I've worked this many days in a row. Blah blah blah. And and yeah, sorry, man head keep keep going you know like it's uh, yep. th- that's the way it works and i think a lot of people um i will say this though not to be sounded like an old man who walked up to school uh, walked uphill to school both ways but i think you and i started an era where there was more driving involved like now you can step into a team and have a life i.e like an apartment and then fly to a yep. lot of races you can't yep. start with that right um whereas when our day it, there's not so many just more people driving you know so yeah. Well, I and I give credit to to your era more for that. I mean, I was lucky enough to where I caught the tail end of that stuff. I yeah. mean, I I've done probably ten trips across the country in in privateers and amateurs, motorhomes, and my van, and, yeah. and everything for the sport. But um, you know, I I didn't do the box van days like you guys did. So um, I'm I'm glad I can share some of that experience with you and yeah. relate a little bit. But yeah, dude. <laughs> Like we have a an amateur kid on our team and love him to death, a great kid. And um, but his first couple years, uh, his first couple amateur races, um, he was complaining about something and he was flying to Minios. <laughs> and I was like, "You little shit!" Like, yeah, I I would have to drive to Minios. Like, yeah. what are you? What are you complaining about? Right. Like you don't understand how good you have it right now. No, for sure, absolutely. Uh, what a what a story, man. What uh, quickly? I should have briefed you on this, but what was the dumbest thing you've ever done as a mechanic? Like uh, I've got a few of them, but does one stand out for you? Like where you're just like, I cannot believe I did that in your early years. Um, dumbest thing. I mean, I've had some some mistakes and errors for yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, that's kind of stuff. I mean, like was there- I, I don't, there was nothing that was like super dumb. You know what I mean? I mean, shit happens or, or something that I just didn't know to look for or, right. or whatever at that time. Um, you know, there, there's some I'm always going to keep to my chest, right? Like some of the, <laughs> some of the failures that you know happened early on, and I was like, oh fuck, I don't know how that happened. But, uh, <laughs> you're like, oh weird. Then <laughs> you lay in bed at your night, and you're like, oh, hey, one one time happened. on the starting line, I looked down at Red Dog, Red Dog seat bolt as he was revving his two stroke, the, the seat bolt was slowly backing out. You know, and yep. I, I just grabbed a T handle from my fanny pack and just tightened that thing yep. right up. It was great. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, so, no, I mean, yeah. that has that happened? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean. 
Uh, that's just kind of part of it. Yep. Uh, you got to stay on top of that. You do. Uh, hey, man, thank you for the time. Congratulations on all your success, your path in industry. Uh, always been a real friendly, uh, nice guy at the races uh, for for many, many years. Um, and it's great to see good things happen to, to good people. And I think um, I think you're an example of that. And, again, really cool story of perseverance and effort and passion and all of that, man. Thank, uh, thank you, Jordan, for the time. I appreciate it, Steve. Thanks for the opportunity. All right. See you. Bye, buddy. This has been the Fly Racing Steve Mathis Show, presented by Maxxis Tires, Renthal, Motorsport.com, and Kuba Links on RacerXOnline.com. Thanks for listening and supporting our partners.